Praise the Lord. Glad to talk to you again. All righty. So I'm going to read a quick scripture, and then I'll let you all be seated. Daniel 3, 16, 17, and 18 says, These three men replied, Your majesty, we don't need to defend ourselves. The God we worship can save us from you and your flaming furnace. But even if he doesn't, somebody say, if he doesn't, we still won't worship your gods and the gold statue you have set up. All righty. Uh, Brother Wes, would you mind praying for this service? Amen. You may be seated tonight. I'm just going to give a couple minutes, something that kind of popped into my mind the other day. Uh, a couple, about three weeks back, I got, um, let's just call it bummer news from the doctor. Something that kind of rocked my world a little bit. And uh, it wasn't immediately that I had that awesome Christian way of being like, it's all going to be great. I, uh, unfortunately, I kind of was just like, why? Like, I just couldn't understand. I was upset. I just... I got a little bit down from it, and as I started to pray in my car, I was just looking for some kind of answer. I expected maybe a pick-me-up, maybe a, you've got this, it's all going to be okay. I didn't get that. This scripture started to sear itself into my mind, and especially that part, even if he doesn't. You see, sometimes in life, your strength is going to be tested. Your spirit to fight is going to be tested, and sometimes it's your resolve. Sometimes it's not just your willingness to pick up a sword and fight. Sometimes it's what you're willing to go through and still say, this is where I stand. Regardless of everything else. You know, the Bible talks about uh, when Peter went out in the storm to go see Jesus. Jesus said, come on, I'm ready. Peter starts walking out onto the waves and he gets a little distracted. He starts to see the wind, the waves. It scares him just a little bit. I understand that. I understand Peter in this moment. But... As he begins to sink, it said God, Jesus, walks up, he takes him out of the water, right? If he didn't get his eyes off the prize, though. You see, there are lessons to be learned from our heroes that sometimes are the ways that they fall. Because I can say all I want, I'm ready to go meet Jesus. I'm going to get out on this water, no problem. But if that little stumbling block, if that thing in my life said, ah, are you sure? What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't pull you up out of the water and suddenly I begin to sink? Suddenly something's not right in my heart. Suddenly I get a little scared. Suddenly everything goes wrong. Sometimes God just wants you to know, look, sometimes things are going to get bad. Sometimes you're looking at a furnace. Sometimes you're looking at the waves. Sometimes you're looking at a lion's den. Sometimes you're looking at a giant. Oh, but I'm telling you, you've got something else on your side today. If you'll just say, even if he doesn't, I'm willing to go into this fight. I'm willing to give it everything I have. And if he doesn't, if this is the day I die, then I tell you, this is where I stand. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Nothing could possibly separate me from that. I just want to give somebody some encouragement today that even if he doesn't, even if you're in your fire, even if you're in that storm, he's still got you. The Bible says that when they came out of that thing, when all of a sudden they looked into that furnace, they didn't see three guys tied up burning to death. No, 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 no. They saw three guys loose and a fourth one that looked like the Son of God. I'm telling you, you may think that you're far away. You may think, I want to give it everything, but I just don't see him. I'm telling you, he's so much closer than you think. He just wants to see how far you'll go. If he doesn't today, where do you stand? 
Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. What a powerful testimony, Brother Joe. You could have just stayed up here and preached. That would have been just fine. Would have been just fine. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Uh, I know I said this on Sunday, but it's good to be home as well. And so, there's no place like home. There's no place like Palmer Pentecostal Church. And want to say that we love, adore, and honor the Herrings, Pastor Herring, Sister Herring. Uh, got such a special place in our hearts, and uh, just so honored to call them Pastor. Yeah. Good to be here. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. And you can remain seated or stand, your preference. But we're going to read uh, about 12 verses here. Genesis 28, 10 through 22 says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. He took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, God of Isaac and Land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as of the dust of the earth, and shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. That should be enough for all of us tonight. Case closed. I don't need any more convincing that God's going to come through. I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful or how awesome is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Somebody say the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put up for his pillows. And he set it up for a pillar, a memorial, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way, that I will go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set up for memorial shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will give a tenth back unto thee. Someone said amen. just want to preach from verse 17 for a moment. Just from that phrase, the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. Brother Stacy, would you pray for the remainder of this service? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Someone said amen. God bless you. Amen. When the railroads were first introduced to the United States, some people feared that they would be the downfall and the destruction of our nation. And they were modern. They were new. They were sure to bring our nation's demise. This is an excerpt from a letter to then President Jackson dated January 31, 1829. As you may know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour. Anybody okay with driving down to Seward at 15 miles per hour? By engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of the passengers, these engines roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening the children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at the breakneck speed of 15 miles per hour. Signed, Martin Van Buren, Governor of New York. What change the last 200 years has brought to our nation? And how many know tonight that the process of change, thank you, brother, God bless you, the process of change, especially when it involves walk, is uncomfortable. The process of going through something without Knowing the outcome without an assurance of the end result is uncomfortable. Why? Because we're creatures of absolutes. We want yes or no. We like the known and we shy away from the unknown. We want to know without a shadow of a doubt what's next. And when we don't know what's next, it causes feelings of anxiety and worry within us. Now, there are a few people, perhaps there's one or two here tonight, that enjoy constant change and thrive in chaos. If that's you, no offense, but we are very different tonight, you and I. I am a creature of order and habit and planning. Ask my wife, I would eat the same exact type of sandwich, a peanut butter and jelly, every single day of my life and be just happy. I would rather know what I'm going to have than not know. I can't even take a vacation without planning every single hour of every single day, and it drives my wife absolutely crazy for the last 17 years. Bless her for putting up with me. What are we doing at 9? What about 10? What about 11? What about 12? We have nothing on the calendar at 1. What's going to happen there? Who's coming? How many? Where? When? Why? What? Bless her heart. But let's be real tonight. The majority of people just don't really like change. That unsettling feeling that happens is because change requires something more of me beyond my current level of effort and commitment, beyond the routine, requires additional output. If you've ever changed jobs, you can testify, required additional output and effort, didn't it? If you've ever moved from Florida to Alaska, you can testify, 
required additional effort. Starting a new friendship or relationship, a lot of additional effort. You can't just go up to somebody and hug them and say, hi, friend. You're going to get punched in the face, very likely. I don't recommend it. Get to know them first. Build a relationship. That requires more effort. Getting a new car is nice, but it requires more effort and more money. Getting in shape and losing weight requires a lot more effort than going to Krispy Kreme for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Someone said amen. Getting out of my routine, any significant change in my life requires me stepping out of my comfort zone and going beyond what I'm currently doing. Anyone can do the same old thing and get the same old results. But to get different results, it requires a different level of effort. And you can apply this however you want to your life tonight, but it is possible as a child of God to get stuck in a rut of doing the same old things time after time after time. It's possible, and, and in fact, we can even miss the will of God in our lives because I believe that God has something greater in store for each and every one of us. Whether you've been in this for one day or 100 years, God has something more for you. we got to be continually growing, continually pressing closer to Him. Now, don't get me wrong. There's enormous value in stick-to-itiveness. I would rather see someone who is just a steady plotter making it to church faithfully day after day serving faithfully than I would ten flash-in-the-pans who are over-the-top emotional, but you don't see them the next week or the next month or the next year. But we do have to acknowledge that there's a difference between being faithful and being stuck in a rut. There's a difference between steady plotting and never giving up and the person who has every opportunity to do something more for God but has not. Here's the tweetable version if you're looking for it. There's a difference between being in a groove and being stuck in a rut. I'll say it again. There's a difference between being in a groove and being stuck in a rut. If you're in a groove, keep on keeping on, my friend. Don't give up and don't let anything get in your way. But if you're in a rut, it's going to take a little bit of additional effort to break out the sides. And change is not always comfortable, but anytime God's involved in your change, it's for your good. Is it a rut or is it a groove? Consider, talking about the railroad, that the U.S. standard size or distance between rails, they call it a gauge, is four feet, eight inches, and one-half inch. Four feet, eight, and one-half inches. You've probably never thought about why is it four feet, eight, and one-half inches from rail to rail. Well, you're about to find out. The reason why is because that's the way that they build them, built them in England. And when the first American railroads were built, they were built by the British. So then I've got to ask, why did the British build them that size? Well, because the people who built the tramways that were used before the railroad used that same exact measurement. 
and in turn were locked into that size because the people who built the tramways used the same standards and tools that they used for building wagons, which were set on a gauge of four feet, eight and one-half inches. And it makes you wonder then, why did they build the wagons four feet, eight and one-half inches? Because with any other size, the wheels did not match the old wheel ruts on the road. So who built these old roads with the wheel ruts that were four feet, eight and one-half inches? Well, the first long-distance highways in Europe were built by Imperial Rome. And the first ruts in the roads were made by Roman war chariots. And the reason why the chariots were four feet, eight and one-half inches was because that's the width that the chariot needed to be to accommodate the backside of two horses. So the width of a modern railroad track is four feet, eight and one-half inches because of the width of two backside of two horses in Rome. You will never see the railroad the same again. That's just the way it's always been. Difference between a rut and a groove. In Genesis 28, we read about Jacob. He's been shaken up. He had, man, is he out of his comfort zone. Rocks for pillows in a strange place on the run. You might say tonight, well, he brought it upon himself. Oh, I know he messed up and sinned, and we like to tell the story. He lied to his dad, stole what belonged to his brother. But listen, we've all got a story of three in our past. And I don't need to be focused on what I did wrong or what you did wrong. I need to be focused on Jacob. What is his path to restoration? What's the path for Jacob back to the presence of God? Jacob's in the middle of a 500-mile journey across a foreign land, and his father has told him to run, and Esau is threatening him. And honestly, I might be a softie, but I'm not even mad at Esau here. If my brother pulled that stunt on me on the wrong day, Lord help me. Well, you can do you act all holy if you want to. I know you would just pray for him and love him, and it's fine, all right? Listen, here's the situation that Jacob's in. He is separated from his family. He is separated from his routine. From everything that he has ever known, he's separated from God himself. And Jacob finds him place, himself in a place called Luz. L-U-Z. It's not Luz. Look it up. It's Luz. That name has two meanings. One is nut and the other is separate or separated. Nut and separated. Allow me to state the obvious for Jacob. It's absolutely nutty that he is separated from the presence of God in the time when he needs God the most. God was about to wake Jacob up through a dream, and God was about to shake him out of the routine that he was in to a new place, a new identity, He's going to transform him in a way that he had not seen before. God was about to rename Jacob's situation from separate or nutty, lose to Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. 
There's a play on words for you. You lose when you're separate from God, but you win when you're in the house of God. Someone said amen. How many remember the first time that you came into the house of God and God changed your identity, changed the name of your situation? Alcoholic became child of God. Controlled by anger became submitted to God. Sinner became saint. Separated became close to God. His situation changes from being separated from God to being in heavenly places with God himself. His response is, this is the house of God, the gate of heaven. What a powerful analogy or description to call the house of God the gate of heaven. Oh, man, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You get how deep that meaning is tonight. You realize you can't get any closer to the city called heaven without actually being in heaven than you are when you're standing at the gate of heaven. Let me restate it this way. The gate of heaven is as close as you can get to heaven without actually being here. Some of you still aren't getting it. When you come to church and you worship and seek God like we did on Sunday, you are as close to heaven as you can get without actually being there. The church is heaven on earth. And you're standing at the gate of heaven tonight knowing how crazy this world is and knowing that the return of God is imminent meaning any moment now I want to be standing at the gate as often as I can and I definitely do not want to be at the wrong gate when the plane takes off when God calls us through the gates of heaven and says come home my children I want to be standing at the right gate waiting for him at the right gate Bible's got a lot to say about gates. More than 300 references to gates. Gate or gates. You guys are smart. You probably already know this, but did you know that there is a dung gate in the Bible? Nehemiah 3.14 mentions the dung gate. I'm not going to get into the meaning of the dung gate tonight. I'll let you just figure that one out on your own, right? But hear me. There are a lot of dung gates in this world right now. You got to make sure you're at the right gate, not at the dung gate, whenever God comes back for his church. Somebody hear me. There is nothing more essential in this world right now than making it to heaven. And there's nothing more essential to making it to heaven than to be at the right gate at the right time when God comes home for his church. Allow me to echo the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go therein, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Are you thankful for the gate called Palmer Pentecostal Church tonight? Where we can come and experience heaven on earth. We're so blessed to have what we have here at PPC. Barna released some troubling 
statistics just a few weeks ago, Brother Playoff, where they revealed that 32% of Christians in America since the beginning of COVID have stopped attending church altogether. I'm not talking about in person and they're watching online. They have stopped going altogether. These are regular attending Christians prior to COVID. And more than 50% of Christian millennials, young adults, have not watched a single service online since beginning of COVID. Yeah, but that's the young whippersnappers. Well, let's talk about the baby boomers then. 26% have not watched a single service online since beginning of March. Lord, help us. March, April, May, June, July, August. That's six months without going to the gate and saying, God, I need you in my life. Several years ago, I was flying through the Dallas airport, and I had stopped near my gate, or so I thought, at a TGI Fridays that was in the airport, going to eat real quick, and then scurry over to my flight just in time and leave. And I ate, enjoyed it, scurried over to my gate just a few minutes before departure to realize they changed it. I was at the wrong gate. They not only changed the gate, Brother Robbie, they changed the concourse. It's a big airport, and so here I am, much younger, much better shape at that point, uh, sprinting across the Dallas airport trying to make it to this right gate that I was supposed to be at. Missed it by a couple of minutes. They just closed the door. Hear this preacher, there is nothing more important right now than standing at the right gate. At the right time. I don't want to miss my destination connection. Because God's about to call us home. And I want to make sure that I'm at the right gate. Bible's got a lot to say about gates. I'm going to hurry. I know I only have seven minutes. And I have 45 minutes of notes. We used to go two hours. Bible's got a lot to say about gates. I'm going to share just a few quick thoughts with you, and then you can see if it stirs in your spirit tonight. Number one, truth should be evident at the gate. Because truth is the ticket to get through the gate to your destination. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Isaiah 43, 11, speaking of Jesus, said, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. John 10, 9, we quoted a lot, I am the door, but most translations say, I am the gate. This isn't original to me, but I'm going to use it here. I'm not Jesus' name only, I'm Jesus' name everything. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I preach in his name, I baptize in his name, I pray in his name. I cast out devils in his name because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus' name is the gospel that we preach, and it's the ticket to heaven through the gate. A truth gate will have a gatekeeper who cares about the destination of those who enter. 
Throughout Revelation, we read about heaven's gates. There are angels positioned at heaven's gates. In Revelation, several times, angels are representative of pastors. And to get into heaven, not only do you need a gate, but you need an angel. You need a pastor who's fighting to keep that gate open for you and your family. I said, you need a church and you need a pastor. And let me just share something from the heart of a minister tonight, if I could. It's easy to armchair quarterback and say, why did he do that? Why did he preach that? Uh, why, why, why? But honey, every sleepless night that he had, uh, every time he felt like quitting, every time he felt alone, uh, every time he faked a smile to stand up here and encourage you, uh, every time he gave someone money that he did not have, uh, every time Sister Herring didn't get something that she wanted uh, because they gave their money to somebody else, uh, every time he showed up at the hospital at 2 a.m. to pray for you, he was not doing it for any other reason, but he wants the gates wide open so that you and your family can walk through to heaven. He wants to keep the gates open for you. Everything that he does is for that reason. Everything that she does is for that reason. Your pastor wants you here because the gate provides safety for you and your family. He doesn't just get up here and preach, come to church, come to church, come to church, because he likes to hear it. He wants safety for you and your family. The gate keeps the right people in and it keeps the enemy out. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the gates of heaven. Number four, gates are a place of praise and thanksgiving. Second Chronicles 31 and 2, Hezekiah told the priest to live, the, excuse me, the Levites to give thanks and praise at the gates. Brother Joe, you read it tonight. Psalms 104, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. The gate, the church, is a place of thanksgiving and praise. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. We're giving thanksgiving and praise. The gate is a place of transition, signifying change in our life. The gate is where change happens. That's what the altar is all about. We come down here and we say, God, change me. God, change my heart, my mind, everything about me. Contrary to pop culture Christianity, God's will and God's purpose is not to make our journey to heaven as smooth as possible. His will and His purpose is to grow us, change us to a place where we get outside of our comfort zone, outside of our box. It's where transformation happens. It's where I get to the point where I'm more concerned about the kingdom of God than I am the things in my life. Jacob, God has a plan for your life, but it's not in a place where you're separated from his presence. Your victory will be in the house of God. God's got a plan for me. The Bible says so. Yes, he does, but you've got to walk in that plan. He's ordered my steps. Yes, he has, but you've got to take those steps. God wants to do a new thing in me. It says so. Yes, but you've got to let him do a new thing in you. 
He's still working on us. And he's making me what he wants me to be. The kind of change that God wants to see takes place in my life when I make up my mind that I'm giving him absolutely every part of me. Everything. Generally, we've got something that we're holding back from God. I've given him all of this, but not that. We need to be constantly peeling away the layers and saying, God, change this part of my heart. Change my mind right here. Change my life over here. God, I know I messed up yesterday, but I'm back in the house of God today. I'm in the gate of heaven. It should be our prayer every day. Change me. Change me. Change me. And when you give it all to God, there's so much power in doing that because anything that he takes from you, he replaces with something else. And it's always better. It never, it's never a net negative. It's always a net positive. God told Jacob, Genesis 28, 15, I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but in Genesis 35, Jacob returns to the very same place, leaves Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. And it's there where his name is changed to Israel. The name of Jacob meaning being behind or following or supplanting. The name of Israel meaning may God prevail or triumphant with God. It's a transformation that can only happen at the gate. That transformation can't happen anywhere else. It's in the house of God where God will help you go from being behind following to being triumphant and prevailing with God. Let's stand. There is a whole lot going on in this world right now. My goodness, there's a mess. There's pressure, there's stress, there's sickness, financial problems. I need a church. I need the gate of heaven in my life. My family, I'm raising four young daughters who desperately need the gate of heaven. And I can't do this on my own. That's why I'm here. I need your help. Watch out for them. Pray for them. Love them. And I'll watch out for you. And I'll pray for you. And I'll love you. In Acts chapter 12, the disciples are having a prayer meeting at Mary's house. Peter gets out of prison, Brother Flail. He comes to the gate. And he's knocking on the gate, and the church is praying. I think they were praying for Peter. God, would you release Peter? God, would you help Peter? God, would you save Peter? And Peter's at the gate. And Rhoda goes running out to the gate. That's Peter. That sounds really familiar. And she runs back into the prayer meeting, and she's going, Peter's at the gate. Peter's at the gate. Peter's at the gate. And 
The church says, not now. We're praying for Peter right now. Don't bother us right now. But, but, he just keeps knocking. Hello? Peter's at the gate, I'm telling you. And finally, somebody goes out there to check. Peter is at the gate. Hey, everybody, Peter's at the gate. Oh, yeah, Peter's at the gate. Yeah, he's been knocking out there for a while. Listen, we need to pull everybody through the gate that we can. You can't let one family member slip through and be standing on the outside of the gate. Let me in. God, save my family. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for them. Don't get me wrong. You should pray for them every single day, every minute that you get. But we've got a job to do. We've got to pull them through the gate. We need to fight the enemy for every soul right now. You can't take any of our loved ones. You cannot have my family. You cannot have my spouse. You cannot have my kids. They belong in the gate of heaven. And we're just in waiting at the gate until God splits the eastern sky wide open and calls us through the gate into heaven. Do something just a little bit different. Instead of us all coming and kneeling at the altar, would you find somebody to pray with? If it's appropriate, man to man, lady to lady, husband to wife, just pray for them right now and say, God, would you strengthen our commitment to the gate of heaven? Would you strengthen our desire to stand in the gate of heaven? And boldly proclaim, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus.